Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. In a lot of development shops, single page applications or spas, man, I could really use a spa day, are the user interface of choice, especially if they are already in use in other systems. While this is often laudable and reasonable choice, it's a good idea to understand the trade-offs of going with this approach. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the trade-offs that you'll experience while building a single-page application. While most of the trade-offs can be overcome, they do often make things more complex and require you to be more deliberate about how you build things. But before we get started, Will, what have you been trading off this week? I don't know about trading off. I had a really weird restaurant experience Sunday. So there's an Indian place close to here. And I decided I was going to go and hit the buffet. Right. And so I get there. I'm, I'm there by myself. I sit down. This is like right after church time on Sunday. Indian restaurant. They have a robotic delivery thing that brings the bread out to you. The non-bread. And then you have like a regular waiter that comes and or- gets your order. Which I'm like, why didn't he just carry the thing from the kitchen. I thought that was kind of strange. And then up on the stage, they have a stage there. They have a gospel Christian country music group playing, which was also a little bit strange. To my right, there's two guys that are having a discussion in Mandarin. Pretty sure it was Mandarin. And they're going back and forth, you know, just talking, talking, talking. The waiter goes over to them, starts talking to them. They start ordering in Spanish. And after there's two or three other weird things in there. And I'm just like looking around the place and I'm like, I can't predict the next thing that's going to happen in here. Were you awake when this happened? This wasn't a dream. Yeah, I was awake. And I was first, I was like trying to figure that out. I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm dreaming. You're like, maybe I ate something like, you know, if you have like scotch with pizza or something and then you go to sleep. It's been a long time, but yeah. You know, like you get those kind of weird, like messed up dreams. Like, okay, you know, I figure out, no, I'm not dreaming. You know, I mean, I will say there's there's an item in my Google search history now that's symptoms of a stroke because I checked that too. Uh, yeah, but it was just really odd. The food was great though. I was like, I think part of it was just, I was like looking around going, I wonder what's going to happen next. What's the weather like Sunday? (laughs) If it's sunny, I can ride my bike up there. I mean, surely that can't happen twice. I mean, I I don't know. It just threw me off. So anyway, that's really all I got to report. Not a whole lot of tech stuff because I I lost most of last weekend to router shenanigans. So you talked about that last week. Yeah. I want to try this place out. So yeah, that sounds like fun. Well, and it may have just, I mean, you got to think if they, if it was just the robotic waiter and they didn't have the country music on, on the stage, it probably wouldn't have been weird. It'd have been like, okay, that's kind of techie, but there was just enough incongruent stuff going on that it really threw me. And by the way, this, the reason I brought this up is because this actually matches how I feel about single page apps about half the time when I'm in there. So quick question, where was this place located? Uh, it's over close to your old apartment. Really? Like I could see that like in the Gulch or something. Yeah. It was where the Chinese place was, where the gal seemed to have a crush on you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that yeah. place. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, uh, it was good food. I just, it was just a really strange experience. But I bring this up because this is the way a lot of people feel like when they get into a single-page app into the guts, right? Like, 
I can't predict what's happening next. And there's something random coming out of nowhere and it's changing everything. So yeah, that's why I brought it up. So how about you? So um, speaking of random things coming out of nowhere now, oh, I think it'll have already happened by the time this episode airs, but uh, I am scheduled for uh, playing on a Sunday service. I think I might've mentioned that already, probably when it, when I got the schedule because I was very excited about it, but I had a, a private lesson before a regular um, worship practice the other day because I wanted to go. One of the things that the synth player does is at the, we call it the two minute mark. It's like uh, we have a countdown timer for our pastor. And so like two minutes left, the synth player comes up and starts playing behind him very lightly. Guess who the synth player is? It was you. All right. Yeah, yeah. So that gets to be me playing solo behind uh, behind the pastor speaking. So I wanted to go over go over that and go over some of the other stuff that uh, that I'm going to be doing next month on stage, so that I had it down and I had some time to prepare for it. And so, like, when, after we go over that, our worship director she was like, "Oh, and by the way, we're going to do the extended version of this song." Oh, taste and see if you're, you're curious about what song it is. And so basically at the end of the song, rather than in ending it where we normally do in the regular version, we're going to go into a cut time version of the pre-chorus where the band is going to play regular time, but the lyrics are cut time. Really confusing when you have basically have the chord changes mentally tied to the lyrics the rhythm of the song and stuff. And it's like, all right, you know, when they sing this word, I know I'm going to E minor. When they're singing this word, I know I go to D. When they go this one, I go to C, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so the lyrics are off from the timing because that's the whole point of doing that. It, it gives like this different dynamic. It sounds really cool, but there's not a recording of that. So uh, this morning... I had messaged our, our worship director. I'm like, hey, I couldn't find a recording of that. So she sent me uh, the video from uh, the last service they did that in. And I was like, all right, cool. Now I have to, like, I'm, I'm practicing that. Uh, so that's my, my big thing is, uh, like, mixing up the way it is. And she's like, we may not do it exactly like this, so be flexible. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I don't have a version with that cut time singing for me to practice against. So since she sent me that, now I have something I can I can practice against. What's really funny is I was listening to the rest of the service and uh, it's the same set. So the same three songs for that recording, uh, like the, the video of that service is the one that we're playing. So I'm like, all right, I can just play through and in the same order too. That's the cool thing. I can just play through this. So that's kind of cool. I haven't checked the reprise to see if that's what the uh, the synth player is playing at the end of service, but uh, I I might do that and play along with that just to kind of get like that would be a really great like I think she purposely sent me that one so I'm kind of excited about it. Sorry, I'm I'm being all music nerd right now, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting to get to do that. A uh, little bit nerve wracking to think that yeah I'm going to be getting up there on stage like just the pastor and me and I'm going to be playing behind him but thankfully the if i mess up the only people who will know will be the worship team so unless i literally just like play the wrong note in a chord and it sounds all dissonant and then then i'm just going to give this like look of oh yeah that's what i meant to do 
right? I feel like jazz players do that a few times. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, I was like, um, one of the first times I was on stage, I was for a um, creative night and I was playing synth and one of the teenagers was playing keyboard and it was like one of her first, I think it was her first time like playing on stage. And I was like, uh, you know what they call it when you play the wrong note? And she's like, what? I was like, jazz. <laughs> so her her dad is really bad about the dad jokes. So she actually gave me a little bit of a courtesy chuckle. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. So <laughs> that was good. That was good. Saving money is hard, especially when you're a musician who messes up. I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it works. It works. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he has a focus on not only helping you to create a plan for your way going forward, but to take action on that plan so that you can create the life that you want to live. Because investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making these better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. And speaking of paying for it, Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So you don't have to wait until you're already halfway rich to get help with your finances. Right. Best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but instead to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face or will face. Uh, and he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can find out even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Single-page applications are becoming increasingly common, and for a good reason. Not only are they often more responsive, but they offer a more seamless user experience by changing only part of the screen instead of the entire screen. In addition, they use the client machine to build the page rather than server resources. That can make better use of caching and can be more responsive to mobile and occasionally connected environments. However, like all technologies out there, there are going to be trade-offs. While these applications are often better for the users and for the development team, they do require that you spend a lot more time critically thinking through how you will mitigate the downsides than comparable server-side applications might. Building and deploying these applications well can be significantly more complex than building a similar server-side application. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but rather that when you do it, you need to kind of plan ahead for some of the downsides to mitigate them and or turn them to strengths. Yeah. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the trade-offs of single-page applications. Note that we aren't trying to convince you to use a spa, though spa days are quite nice. Rather, they might indicate situations where a single-page application is not the best option. Both of us deal with spas all day, every day in our day jobs. It's a lot of days right there. We know they are usually well worth the trouble, so long as you understand the downsides. In general, these trade-offs aren't really downsides so long as you're adequately prepared. In fact, handling these trade-offs well 
is an excellent way to improve the overall development experience of your product in general. So let's get to it. So the first downside or trade-off that you have to consider is that if you are building a single-page app, you are going to be using more tools and newer tools in your tool chain. That's just part of it. There's a lot of stuff that those things have to do to be able to deliver content in a browser. And in general, it does require more extensive tooling to do all the build process, to actually run the app, to optimize it for sending it down to the client than you would see in an old school web app, right? The old school web app just says, hey, I got a request. Here's the HTML. Bang. I'm done. This thing is like, here's the code that creates the HTML. And oh, by the way, it's going to be dynamic when it gets there and it's going to change things. And every tool that you add to your tool chain is another thing to learn. Yeah. On that, each one of these tools is also a potential failure point just waiting to happen. This is something that you have to really get good at debugging. Yeah. To understand like, oh, hey, where in the process did this fall apart? The more you work with it, the more you start to see where these are. Yeah, I mean, just Webpack by itself will get you, right? Um, but you've got all kinds of other stuff in the mix. You know, you're, you're doing work on your CSS, probably. You probably are doing things in TypeScript because you can do type safety when you're building all this stuff and a lot of the frameworks have kind of gone to that. So you got to convert to JavaScript and deal with some weird quirks there. You've got to do bundling, minification, those kind of things. Now, this doesn't mean that you should avoid single-page apps because of the tool chain, but you need to recognize that all the stuff that you're getting does not come free uh, and make sure that you're paying the price up front instead of later. Yeah. is essentially the way I would look at this. Yeah, and these tools are also in a potentially less mature phase of their life cycle. So what that means is there's going to be a lot more frequent updates and a lot of breaking changes when you have these updates. Yeah, and bear in mind, a lot of those tools are small, discrete things. And so when one of them changes something, it may not break it for most of the users, but you've got some other tool down the pipe that it breaks it for. And so you have an interaction problem there as well, which is why I really like to limit however many you know, tools I'm using to just you know, whatever the bare minimum is because it mm -hmm. gets very, very complex very quickly. Now, the next thing, uh, speaking of complexity, that makes it harder when you're dealing with a single-page app, again, not to say that you can't do this in a single-page app, is that a lot of the SEO-compatible things and SEO structures that you need are not included. And that includes social media posts. Now, the reason this happens is that search engines and other sites a lot of times don't understand and or run JavaScript. Uh, even though this does seem to be changing as well, it's probably not all the way there yet. So like I've seen people stand up a single page app. It's got, you know, hundreds of pages in it that have all kinds of useful content and they try to do their SEO strategy. And what happens? Well, the search engine goes and says, here, I'm going to this endpoint. Oh, here's the HTML file with the JavaScript that, you know, bootstraps your, your app, but I don't run the JavaScript. Like there's only that one entry for your entire site. It's whatever was in that HTML and that's it. This can also do interesting things when a part of your content is linked from a social media site. Essentially, a lot of them get their data from the HTML header on the site and don't run the JavaScript that might actually alter the HTML. Yeah. And it's probably worse on social media because that's not a primary concern of theirs, right? Like Google, mm -hmm. 
is going to fix their search where it will parse JavaScript and run it and do all the stuff because they kind of need that to deliver the search results that they want to deliver. Facebook doesn't care about you sharing that much. Yeah. I mean, it's useful to other ends, but it's not, it's not their primary business concern. So they're going to suck at it for a very long time. Now, a lot of server-side frameworks do a better job of getting the various SEO requirements in place, you know, compared to SPA frameworks, even though SPA frameworks are getting better. We'll, we'll say that. Um, but a lot of it is, hey, they're just rendering the whole page. Like all the, all the crap that the thing needs is right there. Plus, they're going to have a lot of structures in place that are like, hey, like if you build a, a site with a, a PHP or .NET framework or something like that, you know, your page template probably has a lot of that header information in there, whereas that may or may not be true with some of the SPA type templates that you're using. Because they may not have been built for that. They were built for applications first, not sites. Yeah. Well, loading and render speeds can also damage your SEO performance. Uh, even if things being a little slower is okay for your users, you might find that you need to over-optimize because of Google. The same consideration occurs on server-side rendering to a little bit of a lesser degree. Yeah, and, and the big issue there is, is the code that's running your app is also being pitched down to the client, whereas server-side, it's not. Server-side, what you'll end up, what'll actually screw you up more than anything is putting big images, having bunches of text, having a bunch of CSS, you know, a bunch of linked stuff that, that basically slows down the time to first render which gets you dinged in search results. Yeah. Whereas in a single page app, you've got all of that, plus however long your JavaScript takes to do stuff, plus whatever payload size that is. Mm-hmm. So the next trade-off is extra code for built-in browse features. So things like the back button, bookmarks, and those sorts of things can really complicate spas, uh, while they tend to be handled much more transparently by server-side code. I've actually been dealing with this a little bit just because I've actually had to play around with local storage because our people, our uh, stakeholders wanted to go, oh, hey, when I go back from the detailed view to the search view, I want it to retain the search and stuff, and I want it because we did expansion panels. I want the things that I was on to be expanded, and I just want to click the back button. It goes right back to the exact same thing that I was looking at before. Yeah, and if that was all loaded in a page, and it was part of the query string for those pieces, so the server could render it, like you're getting that for free with that that loop back to the server. But when you're rendering it and you're handling it yourself, you're going to have to hold that somewhere and restore it and do it correctly. And oh, by the way, dude, bro, may not just be on one tab. So it may not be like, hey, I could shove this in local storage. Like, it gets very, very complex very quickly. Yes, it does. I know. I have been uh, been dealing with that uh, the last couple of weeks. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's not how you define fun, but you know. Yeah, well, it's at least the first two letters. <laughs> now, the tooling around this stuff is getting better, most definitely. Mm-hmm. But you do have to bear in mind that whatever code is re-implementing built-in browser features may not work in exactly the same way as the browser feature itself. Because there are a lot of edge cases. You know, for one, you're talking about local storage, right? You have a stateful mechanism on the end of this thing where the base web is not stateful. And so anytime you have that kind of a dichotomy going on, the implementation is going to, by definition, be different. So that's something to, to bear in mind. Oh, yeah. This was one of those conversations where it's like, yep, that is possible. 
but here's what it's going to cost. And they're like, we want it. We want it. Like, All right. You're going to pay for it. It's an arm and a leg and enjoy hopping in circles. Not out of any spite or anything like that. It's just yeah. literally, this is going to take time and effort to build. And so like, yeah, you're going to pay for the developer efforts to, to work on this. Um, and it's hard to justify that to management that doesn't understand, especially if they're used to older tech or Lord forbid vaxes. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, you're just, I mean, vax machines, like not vaccines, but like, like the old school back in the day type programming where you stand up a, a UI and it talks a server. They don't understand a lot of times the difference between stateless and, and stateful and how mm-hmm. if I override the browser's statelessness and I have to add state, I have to manage all that state. Yeah. And it's, it's a really hard thing to get through to management. Trust me, I've been there. It, honestly, if you're having to have that argument with management, you're probably better off putting your resume out. Thankfully, I, I have uh, not had to have that argument with management. It was just the, the stakeholders asked for a thing and I was like, all right, can do that, but here's the cost. And they're like, we still want it. So we started working on it. Management was like, that's what they want. You got to give it to them. Yeah. So that's the way it is. <laughs> of course, management was like, they're willing to pay for it. It's coming out of their budget. So yeah, that's fine. It'll be cool to implement. Yeah. This can also be a useful point of leverage for you if you can re-engineer things the way you need to. Uh, This can be very helpful when dealing with navigation methods when having to, again, store data locally. It gets tricky, but I have learned a lot about local storage and... And service workers and that kind of stuff probably too, right? Because one of the things that gets interesting here is, let's say I have a local data store, right, that has my bucket of stuff, right? Like, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head what the Angular one is called, but, you know, like React has got its own, Vue has got its own. There's like a state storage setup. Mm -hmm. You put stuff in there, right? You know, you create a new record and you're probably shoving it into that storage and kicking it off maybe to a service worker that goes to the back end. If you're in a occasionally connected state, what happens when they're disconnected and they hit the back button? Well, you load from local storage and you still got all the right data. That's really cool to be able to do in a disconnected state. That's very, very helpful. right? So this is not all bad. It's just you're doing it all. And you need to be aware of that going in. And it also gets a lot more complex when you have things like accessibility and security requirements. So again, with like your local storage, okay, well, what happens when the user's got a plugin in their browser? that can read local storage. You got to be careful what you put in there. Their kid, you know, gets on their computer for that matter. And they share a login because they're dumb. You have to think about those things a lot more than you do with a server side uh, environment. Cause that responsibility is on you. Yeah. That's very true. The next one that we have here is pre-processing. Because spa frameworks tend to be heavy in terms of JavaScript. And by heavy, we mean like neutron star. Back to the future heavy. Yeah. Whatever like chunk of matter is at the bottom of a black hole is smaller (laughs) than NPM modules. (laughs) Yeah. So because of this, you'll find that you need to have a lot of tools in place to minify and otherwise alter the code being sent to the client in order to keep things performant. And that also means breaking stuff up as well, right? And it has to be kind of smart about it to go, okay, well, if they load this module, then they need these things. And that all needs to be kind of one glob of stuff that goes to the client. 
um, which actually kind of limits your dynamism, honestly, because there's certain things you you can't do dynamically because you're going to have to other things have to be prepared statically in advance for those to work. And there's really this pre-processing creates an entire suite of opportunities for your system to break. And it's probably not going to necessarily be the app. It's probably gonna be something upstream from the app. So like your build process and you can't roll out a security fix because Webpack decided to take a day off. I've had that one a few times. That said, it is a set of opportunities to outshine the competition. If your competition is all server-side rendered stuff and you can do SPAs and do them well, your stuff is going to look way better than theirs. But you're going to have to do the work to actually make this fast and effective. Like, it's not something you can, you really can't get by with defaults a lot of times. Yeah, no, no, you can't. And because single-page applications also tend to be relatively complicated, relatively you'll likely want to remove any dead code that you can before it's sent to the client. This is a fairly expensive operation that may really slow down your build time. Yes, it will. Well, it may not slow down your build time much if it's Hello World. Like, you notice this when you have a team of 30 people and, you know, the tree shaking is like a quarter of your time on the system. I've seen Angular app builds that take, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Routinely now, granted, it's, it's multiple apps with like shared pieces, and there's some weird barreling crap that we don't want to get into. But it's very easy to end up in that state, even if your whole team is very good, just because you're you're dealing with a, a situation. You know, it's like a survival situation. It's like you can have a team of survivalists in a survival situation where no one survives. The thing is, like in situations like that, that's where I really like the um, with Angular, particularly the the projects and libraries. So that you only build the project that you're working on and any libraries that you've touched that are associated with it. Yeah. And and also bear in mind, uh, the same dynamic applies to your testing scope for those projects as well too, right? So if you have automated tests, which you have to have just about these days, there's a lot of stuff that is in the mix. Like you, you can't really wing it on a... SPA in the way that I feel like you can on a server rendered. I can kind of goof around a little bit with a server rendered thing and I can get away with a lot of stuff that I would never try to do with an SPA. Now, another thing that gets you, and this is something we mentioned before, is statefulness. The real underlying issue with SPAs is that the web is stateless. You make a call, you know, the server gives you a cookie or whatever so it can identify you and you know hands you your data back. You take some action and you go to another link and it comes back. There's not like a persistent connection between the two. And so, you know, you've got whatever state is on the screen and maybe in some JavaScript objects there, but it's nothing, you know, it's fairly minimal. With a single page app, it's typically not stateless. So there is some kind of, there's local storage. There is um, stuff with, like some of the, there's like some menu type loading or like um, activated route snapshot type stuff going on in Angular. Like you have to keep a chunk of, of things stored. You're also going to want to cache the crap out of everything because you're doing a lot of interactions with the server. And because of this increase in local data, especially to avoid load times, you have an extra area of complexity that you need to be thinking about. Now, like caching, and we'll discuss that shortly. Um, This means that there are two sources of truth, which can really complicate things and lead to a lot of extra work. Yeah, I mean, well, and and think about it like this, right? You got two sources of truth at the client. 
the server potentially has some cash in the mix. You'll potentially have things like second level caching in your data access objects, right? So there's two sources of truth between the server and the database as well. That's why we're trying to go to a cashless society. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, dad joke there. I'm not even a dad and I make the worst dad jokes. What's it? Was it uh, functional Marxism? We're going to have like classless society. (laughs) See what I did there? I see what you did there. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure if that joke's a monad. It's a monad joke. Uh, Anyway. It's a bad joke. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was terrible. This also complicates your testing because previously when you tested, you could say, okay, I'm going to hit. I have a cookie. I have a few pieces of data that are going to the server and I'm going to get them into a state and then I'm going to run that call and see what I get back. When you have heavy state management on your client, you now have to build up all that state and then see what happens. And oh, by the way, you, the way you build up that state in a consistent fashion in a testing environment is probably UI automation. Otherwise, stuff changes upstream and you break all the time. So versus it just being, hey, I'm, I'm doing essentially WGET with this thing and, and sending crap at it and getting stuff back, it's like now I'm, I'm doing UI automation in a browser, which by the way, in some cases, doesn't overly like you doing that. Now, one of the strengths of doing things like uh, PWAs, portable web apps, I really like those. They're kind of cool. Yeah. Which a lot of times are spas, is that they can work in disconnected mode. That's the thing I love about them. And they're, yeah. they're so fascinating. Uh, every chance I get to, to play around with, uh, with PWAs, I take it. One of the downsides, though, is that because your app does have stored local state and executes operations on that state, you have to consider what happens in those disconnected scenarios after log off or when various operations change state. Yeah. Or you just got out of range of a signal and, oh, by the way your bearer token just expired or should have. What do you do 15 minutes later when you've been putting you know, data in in the warehouse and you come back in range and you got to log back in? Where is that data? You really have to think about that kind of stuff. Now, this is happening because we have other opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't do this with a traditional web app very well. No. This is a downside to a benefit that the other thing doesn't have, <laughs> but it is something you're going to have to think about. Yeah, and that's the thing with the, these downsides too is they're, they're not like, oh, don't do these there, be cautious of these and take them into consideration when you're getting all the benefits. It's the don't be so overly optimistic uh, rainbow puking unicorn about spas. No matter how good a spa day is, it's not the best. Sorry, I keep throwing that in there. It's, it's, a, it's a bad running joke, sorry. Well, speaking of rainbow puking unicorns, eventually when you are working on a spa, and by eventually I mean next Tuesday, <laughs> your framework is going to get iterated upon. Now, they've gotten better about this than they were in, say, 2016, 2017 timeframe. Uh, yeah. Because uh, that was horrendous mm-hmm. uh, for quite, it, it felt like for like eight years. It was probably only like a year and a half, but it just, stuff iterated so yeah. quickly. Web standards iterate more quickly than backend server standards. Like the closer you get in towards the data, the less stuff changes. Like I can write code that is ANSI 92 SQL compliant all day at work. And mm-hmm. it's completely fine. That's 1992. Yeah. Whereas if I do things the way Angular did them a year ago, it may not work right now. And so things change towards the edge. And anything sitting on top of those things that changes towards the edge is going to be forced to change as well. Or it's going to look and go, hey, there's an opportunity for change that is valuable. 
And this is definitely going to include any front-end framework. Yeah. Now, this can actually be an advantage because it means that problems are quickly addressed. But you do need to have sufficient processes in place to be able to address them when they do change. Right. And this sounds really, really easy. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times what it requires is a full suite of integration and UI automation tests in place so that when you update, you know, you do a point update to some release that fixes some little dinky problem in one corner of the app that it doesn't break 15 other places without you finding it until the customers find out. Like you got to be able to rerun all your tests quickly and go, okay, now we're good. We can push this thing out. If you don't build that infrastructure, you cannot take advantage of this iteration. Like it will always be a drag on you. You just had to put in the time. All this stuff is positive, but it's it's put in a way of understanding there's a trade-off. It's like, hey, I have a very expensive, nice car. I don't, and neither do you. But I don't have a car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, mine's, <laughs> mine's pretty dodgy. Let's just say, you know, like I'm, there's a lot of days I'm kind of surprised that it starts. But if you do have a nice car, you understand that, okay, I need to get good tires. I need to change the oil. I need, you know, there's a lot of stuff I need to make sure to keep the thing running. There's a higher expectation of maintenance there. And that's what this is. It's like you can't maintain a brand new Porsche with Pinto standards and have a Porsche for long. And that's what you're going to deal with with single page apps. And if you're not at the point where your garage can handle it, then you probably shouldn't build one. You should work on getting your garage fixed. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like work on your infrastructure, work on getting to the point where you can have that nicer vehicle. Yeah. Because when it takes like six months to update your framework, well, for one thing, like you're going to update once and then you're going to have to skip two versions immediately to be caught up. You're going to be unlikely to upgrade. And that means that you're really paying a cost for something that you never get the benefit of. Yeah. While this is also true to server-side rendered pages, it gets a bit more complicated with spas because of local storage of state. Right, because you have to think about how that state moves to the app, how it goes into whatever local storage there is, Mm -hmm. how it gets out of that, how you synchronize between the app and whatever the backing store is. So you may put something in local storage and then five minutes later, you actually get it into the, the backing store and it goes, hey, this is wrong. What do you do? You've got a lot of different code paths that can happen there that don't happen server-side. So you just have to be aware of that going in. Now, the next one we're going to talk about is more partial rendering. Basically, because all the data for a page is not rendered at the server and has to be rendered on the client, possibly with callbacks to the server to get data for various components. Oh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, the actual rendering of the page can be much, much slower. Yeah, especially the way that the user feels about it, right? So like, yeah, your screen loads, but half of the panels just have a little circle spinner. Well, your screen is not loaded as far as the user is concerned and as far as mm-hmm. a search engine is concerned. So it's really easy to get to this, this state, especially when you are, you know, you have the temptation to componentize everything and each component's making its own it's calling some service that's calling back to the server and or hitting local storage. It can be difficult to deliver things as fast because there is a limit on how many concurrent connections a browser can have with a web server. By default, yeah. I think it's like two for that particular domain or something like that. I forget what the 
they may have bumped it up, but it's still it's not infinite. Yeah, you um, you have to think about that, and like this is something that we actually do discuss with the back end. We're all one team, but like we're kind of like we're one team divided into teams. If that makes sense. But working on the front end versus the back end and discussing it with the back end team, it's like, all right, hey, so we need all of this information to load this page. So how can we get it all together and then break it down when it comes to the front end? That is one way we've gotten around this is rather than, all right, hey, I need this information for this component. It's like, all right, what's our load? What do we need? And it's a lot faster to get all that on the server and then send it up as one object and go, all right, let's break it down. Right. Let's like data model it all the way down and like yeah. break it down into, into individual components versus having each component responsible for its own loading. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is when you do it that way, now those components are not as reusable. So there's a question of, should I keep that component? That does make it a little bit, but what you do is you put yeah. that into a service rather than into the component. So you have like a, a config or a loading service that pulls all that stuff down and then those components are reusable. It's just, it goes, all right, hey, here's, it calls the service and if the service looks at it and goes, all right, we got this because it's the, the load or we need to make a call out. Yeah, or the container of that yeah. component decides how it's getting loaded and it's like, yeah, because I may want to put some data in there that isn't there yet, you know, because I may mm-hmm. be doing a preview of what this thing's going to look like. Yeah, and that yeah. way I can reuse the components. So, like, if you if you pull that out, a lot of times you can get a, you can get away with it. But then that container component now has state and has exactly the same problem. It's where you put the problem, basically. And I put it on the front end developers, but <laughs> you would back end developer things. Yeah, well, I mean, because it it is complex, and you know, it's a lot of stuff to really think about. Now, this also gets you on SEO. Because those components are not all loaded or not always loaded all the way when navigation happens. You know, and it can also mean that visual elements on the page tend to jump around as stuff gets loaded too. So you'll have that That's so annoying. I know I hate that. Like there are so many sites that do that where you go you get ready to click and that thing has jumped somewhere else and some stupid ad is always right there, of mm-hmm. course. And that is very, very frustrating for users. It can result in data loss. It can really it can cause a lot of problems. So you also need to be aware of that. Like, think about what that render loop looks like and what it looks like from the other side. Is it doing something weird that is going to make a user make a mistake? Yeah. Or it's going to screw up SEO because it's not all loaded when the thing tries to parse it or, you know, it has some kind of timeout. Yeah. I mean, I just, I refuse to go. If a site does that, I'm like, all right, I'm not coming back to you ever again. I block them at the firewall. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody in the house is getting there. Yeah. Or if they, uh, they, have an ad blocker blocker. I'm yep, like, I do that too. Nope. I'll find this information somewhere else. I just won't use you. You, you lost. I'll go to your site using links. Yeah. You know, now none of your ads are going to get anything because I'm not executing your JavaScript. It definitely does not endear you to users when this kind of stuff happens. And the other thing that gets kind of weird, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Actually, there's, there's some other interesting stuff. I'll let you, because I know you've had some experience with this fairly recently, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure how. I'm, I guess I'll read the uh, the next one. So, because some components may be cached or have data in local storage, while other things require a round trip to the server, it can often result in weird visual after effects on the page when a connection is slow, is severed partway through the page load, or 
when a security token expires. Yeah, this can be a little bit fun to deal with, especially if like, depending on what you're storing in local storage. So if it's, hey, it's going to be making a call, but I'm caching these sub objects, but now they're wrong. Yeah, either I'm caching these sub objects or I'm just caching references to them. So their IDs. Because the big thing with us recently was storing it in local storage to know what to expand coming back. Like the rerunning the search, easy. The expansion and the tricky part was it was multiple levels of expansion. So it's like, all right, hey, here's the search result expansion. And then within that, there's another expansion. Within that, there's another expansion. They want all of that expanded out. But then, hey, they run a different search. And that same, you got to clear all that crap out, except when you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It it got tricky. Or one of the funny things was like, it's like you run a search and what was on the first, oh, and pagination. Pagination was was really fun getting it to be to come back to the same page and if they had changed you know the page size or put something in yeah and it's like oh i took the first 50 but now that one's actually number 49 <laughs> and every like every page after that is shifted those are fun another one that's fun you know we talked about dashboarding a few weeks ago imagine you have a dashboard where half the crap that you're looking at is cached but the other half is not and now they don't agree and that ceo just pulled that up Mm-hmm. He has no confidence in your entire operation just because you're using an optimization technique. And it's always going to be that guy that controls the purse strings that sees it. It's never going to be some flunky in the basement. It's one of those things that QA is not going to catch something like that because it's one of those weird conditions that... Well, and they're doing stuff, you know, they're probably the only one executing on a box, right? So stuff's not changing under them. You know, most QAs are just, they're not at that level. There's enough stuff going wrong as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, at least if they're QA in my code, I can tell you there is. <laughs> so speaking of caching, the final thing that we're going to talk about is caching. Caching systems like Cloudflare will often take the bare bones HTML, not the HTML after the JavaScript is run. And this can complicate things considerably if you're not aware of what they're doing. Yeah, I've seen people put the caching in and go, okay, great. Our app's going to perform so much faster. And they're like, the caching's not working. But I go over here and it's cached. What's going on? It's like, well, yeah, you you cached like the, the, the skeleton of the site. You didn't cache output. Yeah. Or like any of the calls that happened. So yeah, you cached the fact that here's the loader. Thanks, bro. You cached the part that runs the fastest. Well, you cached the part that's already cached by the web browser too. Oh, that's true. There, There's that, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's and this will get you to because you're keeping state locally more. Um, so you can end up in a situation where there are now three sources of truth, including the cache. And by the way, it's like, there's like your edge network, you know, CDN type cache. There's your local browser cache. There's what's actually going on in state. There's what's on the page. There's what's on the server. There's what the server cached. And you've got to figure out which of those is actually being loaded in every single context. When stuff gets awry, it's like balancing a lot of books. It's hard. So you may also find yourself having to tell QA or other users to clear their cache. Oh, my goodness. And they won't listen. No. I remember I had to, like, I pushed out an update, and this was years ago. I haven't worked with the, this QA in 
I can't even tell you how long, but I pushed like a bug fix and pushed it up to the server. And I was like, hey, it's in test now. And he was like, I'm not seeing it. And I was like, all right, well, you need to refresh your browser and clear your cache. He's like, well, the user's not going to know to do that. I'm like, the user isn't going to have to do that. I was like, we're also not going to be pushing fixes, like hot fixes to the user and going, hey, refresh now. It's it's there. That's not how that that works. Like it's like this whole concept of like like he got like really argumentative about it. I'm like, yeah, but this is a unique situation because it's QA. It's a it's a test environment. We're not going to be pushing hot fixes to users like that. Yeah, it almost like when you deal with that, it it almost makes you want to see if you could just reboot the server and reboot their box, like something just overly drastic because. Everybody's had that experience, especially with a QA that doesn't understand some of the things that are going on. Or you cache bust, which is loads of fun to write that logic and try to, uh, like, cache invalidation is not a joke. It's, uh, that, is, that is a hard thing to do right. There's a reason the people that do that get paid well. Mm-hmm. So, guys, single-page apps are great and are widely considered a sensible default for new websites in a lot of circumstances, not all. And while we do love to see them, it's important to know what you're trading off when you are building one. They have a massive number of benefits for a lot of applications, but if you know what you're giving away to get those benefits, you can make better decisions about when to use them and when not to, or when to do certain implementation details in your app or what your app can actually do versus what it says on the tin when you're looking at your framework. So when you decide to build a single page app, if you address the concerns that we've listed here, you will almost universally improve the throughput of your entire team and the maintainability of the app over its entire life cycle. Now, if you don't address these things, they will address you and you will have to address them anyway. And that's pretty much all we've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.